Hello. That could only be the smooth, soft voice of Russ Belleville. So many buttons, so many switches. Right? I was I was about to explain before I realized you couldn't hear me that I had just got done doing that and rewiring <laughs> my mixer and trying to figure out the best way to get Hangouts and Skype and then, like, my audio. And what a mess. Yeah, yeah. I've got all these uh, virtual audio cables installed that connect <laughs> me from my uh, uh, the iHeartRadio software to the Skype so that it... So today I did my interview live, and I forgot to turn the Skype side on so nobody listening live could hear who I was talking to. Nice. <laughs> so well, it's been that kind of day. At least you have people there listening that are like, hey, asshole, we can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> they did. On the seventh The terrors of tripping on time. Be there! Scour the spaceways! Explore vast alien worlds! Tin right here contains the whole rigmarole. I used to smoke about an ounce of hash every day. And it made me go a little bonkers. Maybe. If I occupy his mind with more duties, I can control his space. Hi. Big fat doobies. Hi. Hi. Oh, hi. Today is Thursday, August 18th, 2016. It's episode 187 of the Hotbox. My name's Matt Lee, hotboxpodcast.com. Check it out. Got a great interview for you here coming up. Russ Belleville from cannabisradio.com. Gonna chat with him. See what he's excited about in marijuana news and politics. What's going on in the the world of cannabis. So, hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Big fat Hi. doobies. Matt Lee with the Hotbox. I am chatting via the magic of Skype and virtual cables russ belleville from the russ belleville show i mean he's all over the internet i i don't even need to give this guy an introduction uh russ welcome to the hotbox man how's it going it is great to be back on the hotbox thanks for having me here matt awesome to have you it's uh it's been cool actually seeing you in person at all of these conferences and events where uh before uh, in the past i've actually had to just watch you via the internet so it's kind of cool to get out to see some of this stuff that you're doing out here and there's so many more of these events that are happening now. You just get more of a chance to see people. I can't even tell you. I have no time to do the things I want. Like, I want to do it all, but I want to go tour these farms and grows and labs and everything. But then they're like, you have to go to Hempfest, and then you have to go to Seattle or to Alaska for Weed Week, and then you have to go here. And it's like, I'm okay, but there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> not Not enough hours, man. Oh, yeah. You get a lot of air miles, a lot of travel. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. So you uh, you cover a lot more of like the news and, and the, the goings on of the cannabis industry that I'm kind of on the, the peripheral of showing like the products and the businesses and stuff like that. Um, what's like I just want to kind of talk with you about like what are you excited about in, in the cannabis news that's happening? I mean, there's so much. I, I just I don't even know where to begin. Well, I mean, yeah, there's politically speaking, you know, I, I kind of cover that angle. I cover some of the data and the polls that are coming out and so forth. Uh, I always like to call my show the NPR of POT. So I'm covering <laughs> the activism and politics kind of angles. Uh, I'm excited about, uh, of course, this being a record year for the number of states, you know, nine states and one territory that are going to be voting on either legalization or medical marijuana. And the polls are looking pretty good that we could win at least half of those. And so get, you know, five victories in one year, that would be uh, precedent setting, especially 
getting that victory in California, the world's eighth largest economy, legalizing marijuana will set uh, a precedent that will be heard worldwide, not just in the United States. Yeah, that's huge. And then when, I mean, we saw like after Colorado and Washington started getting their numbers in as far as rec sales, like there were so many pieces being written on, look at how much money this is generating and look at all this revenue and all this tax and this and that, like wait until California is able to do it. Cause there are so many more people there in that, that, that place that just here's rec weed and they'll be all over it, you know? The latest data out of Colorado, say in the first six months, they've uh, done $600 million in business. They're projecting $1.35 billion by the end of the year. For for California, first year, they're talking, you know, 12 to $18 billion. Right. So right. just not even in the same ballpark. And that's, I mean, not there, but it's it's closer. It's, I think, one of the closest industries we have to, to what Silicon Valley was able to produce in that bubble. You know, all of the companies that came from there that actually managed to stay around and and become you know real uh there yeah. there's a lot of money in this definitely and and the kind of industry that can't be outsourced uh you know this is something exactly. that's great american jobs and so long as uh cannabis stays in schedule one it's an industry that has to grow state by state so we don't have the possibility of an Altria, Philip Morris, or any big, you know, Monsanto corporation coming in because they can't tangle with the federal courts in that arena. But these little state by state companies that start to build up uh, get the chance to become strong players before we see that federal legalization and and then the you know the big green rush is on. So do we see, do you think, uh, some of these companies that started in in Oregon or or Washington uh start to become multi-state companies and brands that people recognize even though they're in a you know a state on the other side of the country from them or something the way it's the way it has to be done is that the this company would have to farm out its brand to a separate company in that state like one company can't do interstate business right, because okay. that's interstate commerce feds are involved now it's a big hassle but say you know bob's pot shop could set that up as a brand and then farm that out franchise style to somebody else that's an independent business in another state and that's the way that's going to have to grow even with that though those become these separate independent businesses that are building rather than having this one big Walmart sized conglomerate that's controlling weed. Right. And we, we kind of almost see that with, uh, I forget the company's name. I think it's like purple haze productions or something like that. I could be wrong, but they basically license like celeb names. They're the ones that have Jimi Hendrix and, uh, they have Charlotte green. They have a whole list of, of celebrities, some not even really cannabis related, but that have signed on with them saying, yeah, sure. You can put my name on, on this weed that you're selling. Yeah, that's uh, that's a big part of what's happening in the uh, in the cannabis sphere. You know, we get people like Whoopi Goldberg that are carving out a niche there in women's cannabis uh, medical products, for example, or or Snoop Dogg or Wiz Khalifa that are more of a lifestyle sort of brand. Willie Nelson, who's trying to make a uh, kind of a connoisseur cannabis brand. A lot of that happening. And I'm I'm kind of torn in one way or the other. Like I'm happy as hell for Willie Nelson because of all the years he's donated his time and his money to normal. You know, he put his money where his mouth is and now he's, you know, getting the returns. Some of these other people that are getting involved though, I I question, you know, you know, they're getting on the bandwagon, but where were they when we needed them to help, you know, change these laws to even create this industry? 
uh, I'd like to see them giving back to some of the uh, reform movement. Uh, it was interesting. I did see at the Oregon Growers Fair that I was at, they had Frito-Lay was there with a booth. And <laughs> we we thought this was interesting just because, okay, it's Frito-Lay. Let's go interview him for the hell of it, you know, and if something comes of it, then cool. And so they basically, like, in I guess in Washington, you can't put food in shops, like in rec shops, unless it's infused. So you can't just right. have snacks, chips, and whatever. Uh, but in Oregon, you can. <laughs> so yeah. this was their first uh, expo or conference or whatever that they were at in, in the cannabis industry. But so I mentioned that online, and somebody posted about them still giving hair follicle drug tests to all their employees and that we should maybe ask them about that. Uh, so it is interesting to see these big companies getting in, seeing the dollar signs, but then not really changing policy to kind of abide with, you know, what the cannabis industry is about. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. Drug testing, particularly hair follicle testing, is what has me in this career now. I had a, an IT career that was going just fine, and a hair test declared that I was my brain was no longer fit for coding. All of the sudden. So, <laughs> oh my God. so here I am uh, doing the professional pot job, and I, I, I'm glad it happened because uh, this is a much better use of my time and talent. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because there's, uh, there's a reckoning that's going to happen here, especially once California passes legalization, where you're going to have the entire West Coast as this legal marijuana zone. And already we're hearing complaints from certain manufacturing industries, certain clerical industries, that they're not able to find enough employees who can pass the drug test. Of course, doesn't occur to them that maybe they ought not test for something that's legal. Right. If everyone's... Because they're all locked into these contracts and these insurance right. uh, schemes that give them benefits if they continue the, the, the testing. This is eventually going to come to a head, though, because as cannabis becomes more uh, recognized, more normalized, as a generation grows up with it being legal, they will increasingly ask why their friends who can get uh, sloshed on the weekend on alcohol or even take hard drugs for that matter and not have to worry about you know uh, getting caught on a workplace drug test, why their legal use of cannabis should be any different. I couldn't tell you how long that's going to take, though. As kind of a troll type of thing, I would like to personally see a drug test invoked on anyone that wants to come into the industry. And it's like, hey, if you can't like smoke weed and be fine or you don't have weed in your system, then sorry, you got to wait. We're, we're currently <laughs> you have to, filling. because we have to have a, a positive we, on the drug test. We had to deal to with that. I've turned many a jobs down because I knew I wasn't going to pass. So why, why the hell take it? And now all of these non-smokers want to come into our industry. I don't know. It's it's just one of those things. That's <laughs> there like, you go. It's kind of, you know, I feel kind let's of make sure you've got some skin in the game here by actually being a, uh, a cannabis consumer. Uh, you know, I, I guess there's something to that. Uh, there was um, there was some uh, scandal here in Portland of a, a, a restaurant owner who was uh, not hiring people who were vegan or had nut allergies <laughs> or anything like that because he wanted them to be able to taste his his company's food, his restaurant's food, and be able to describe it to the uh, the the patrons. And some people complain discrimination against <laughs> vegans or you know people with food allergies, but it made sense to me. So along that same line. Hey, if you're going to be a bud tender, <laughs> yeah. maybe you ought to have smoked what you're selling. 
Exactly. And I'm just saying, like, everyone wants in. Like, let's let the people in that are actually into it before all the other assholes come in. You know, that's all. Just give us, like, five years. <laughs> and that, you know, that dovetails into the discussion. You know, uh, Oakland, California, tried to pass or is trying to pass some uh, uh, regulations there that would steer some of the marijuana licenses more toward uh, people of color and people who had been busted in the in the weed industry before. It's something I've advocated for as well. Like, you know, you're seeing all these Harvard MBAs, Yale MBAs. These people had nothing to do with weed, but a lot to do with money Mm -hmm. trying to get in on this green rush. Meanwhile, guys that were always the guy or the grower or the dealer are cut out because the law says, well, if you've got a prior conviction, you can't get in. It's like, why would we want to turn away the people who know how to grow the best and we're selling it already and already have a customer base? Why would we not want them to be legal and paying taxes and following regulations? So right, that's, that, that's, that's, that's something that – that's another frustrating part of what's happening here in the green rush. That's just prior work experience if you ask me. I mean like exactly. let's see the resume. I, I've been thinking that what we ought to do is have uh, – a kind of an affirmative action, but that's not really affirmative action. And what it is is when you want to get your license or applying at a you know a, a shop or whatever, uh, you get points if you've been busted before. As long as like a nonviolent offense, right? Uh, you get pu- points if you were busted before. You busted for possession, that's a, like five points. Busted for uh, <laughs> uh, growing, it's ten points. Whatever, whatever the point system is, this would by it would it, it would effectively have bring more Latinos and black people into the industry without being explicitly racial. You know, if you're white and you're busted, you could still get those points too. But since more black and Latino people were busted there, that, Therefore, there's going to be kind of a benefit to them. I think that would be kind of a win-win. That, that is interesting. There's sort of a bell curve there because then you have you have people of all color and race who were just either never in the wrong place at the wrong time or did something silly to get busted or, or what have you. Um, and have no prior record, but then you you have the ones that did, and and you got some points getting awarded here. I like that. We should pointify yeah, yeah. and, and gamify I've heard, more. I've mentioned things. this before, and had some people that say, "Well, why should the guy who didn't get busted not have a leg up compared to the guy that did get busted?" And I say, "Well, the guy who didn't get busted, that's his reward. He's been doing fine. <laughs> he didn't get busted. And he got to keep making money. So <laughs> yeah, right. it, it all comes out in the wash. That's true. He's been doing fine the last twenty years. The other guy, eh, not so much." Yeah, that's right. But we could get these two guys together, though, and like they could take advantage of each other's prior work experience and have a pretty good business there. Yeah, and that's something you know. As we continue to 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 legalize across the nation, that I think really deserves some thoughtful uh, discussion and, and introspection is how do we take what is an illegal culture, an illegal world. And and turn it into legality as best we can that includes the most people. I, I think that you know just capitalism being what it is, there's kind of an inevitability that yes, there's going to be big players eventually, and yes, there's going to be the Budweiser of weed. But can we create a world that has the Budweiser of weed as well as you know 62 micro brews that I can get here in Portland that are all brewed here, right? If we can get to that world, I'm okay. If it goes more like the cigarette world where there's you know however many brands of cigarettes and that's it one company we're running them all yeah <laughs> and one company running them all that's that's the problem more toward the alcohol side less toward the cigarette side right and i've always thought that like you could i mean the market will support what it will support there's no sense in making these rules and regulations so overbearing that you're controlling the market like let it sort itself out if there are too many 
uh, cannabis rec shops on a certain county, then that'll sort itself out. You know, they won't be able to maintain enough business to stay open. But if all of them can, then there's obviously some sort of need that they're filling there. So let them do business. Exactly. And we're already seeing in Portland uh, some of these early early shops that are starting to close up, uh, some of the the better run shops that are starting to take that business in as these adjustments happen. But uh, I think comparing Oregon and Washington is is a perfect way to prove that point. Uh, Washington, they hired uh, Mark Kleiman, Bowtech Analysis. They, They consulted and tried to, you know, micromanage every part of the of the uh, of the market, like how many growers there'll be, how much square foot of canopy there'll be in the entire state, how many licensed pot shops can there be per city? There'll be 21 in Port City in, in Seattle, and there'll be 15 in Tacoma, and per city, we'll, we'll micromanage it down. And Oregon, by contrast, has said, hey, we'll give licenses to everyone that applies for them, you know, within the the the, the, the limits, of course, of what the law says, but we're not going to limit how many licenses there are and we're not going to limit how much canopy there is or how much grow there is. And any observer will tell you that Oregon's legalization is far better than Washington's. Definitely. As a, <clears throat> a surveyor of both, uh, I'm definitely more towards the Oregon side as far as how they've uh, been able to keep their patients happy and their rec shop and everybody else happy. Uh, where Washington, I hear a lot of complaints, and mine included. I mean, I don't have a job anymore there because of that, but a lot of people like just not thrilled at how that whole transition went. And I mean, obviously, in hindsight, anyone is like, oh, yeah, well, it can always be done better. But I, I think this for real like, could have been done a lot better. Oh, yeah, it could have been uh, much better. And, and the way you know, once they started down that road of trying to have this micromanaged recreational system, uh, that, you know, those fine-tuned equations wouldn't work if there was this laissez-faire medical system running alongside of it. And that motivated them to want to apply the same micromanaging rules to recreational or to medical as they had to recreational. And that's caused a wealth of problems up in Washington state with respect to their medical program and, and medical access. Uh, Washington, it, sometimes you look at it, it's almost like they were designated to do everything the wrong way to teach every other state how not to do it. <laughs> Look at us, guys. Okay, make notes, because we're about to F this up hard. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what you don't do. Get, hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it is, it's better than what I came from, uh, from Montana, definitely. But there, there is... It seems so silly to me that it's all all just man-made issues that they're trying to figure out ways around. It's like, well, just erase it. Like, you made it. Like, unmake it. You don't have to make this giant weird loophole of how to do business because of a law you made. It, I, it seems easier than it, than, it, than it is right now. Well, the irony to me is when you analyze everything that the people who are afraid of pot or afraid or, or, or reticent to want to – you know, reform the laws, everything that they bring up as their fear is something that is created by the prohibition, not right. the plan. Not true. And, and if they could only understand that the cure they're looking for, for all the ills from marijuana is not restricting it more, it's restricting it less. You get marijuana to the point where it's as legal as beer and as available, then it's as no big deal as yep. beer. <laughs> You know, it's not a, a big problem. I mean, uh, people have come to culturally accept beer, and we know that there's 
problems from it as far as drunk driving and aggression oh, and so on. Massive. And we've learned to deal with that. So how can we not learn to deal with a plant that doesn't have those bad side effects and has a whole bunch more better side effects? Eventually we'll get there. But, you know, cultural fear and, and, and prejudice takes generations to overturn. We have, and, and I, I almost hate to say it, but we have as a nation this weird battered wives syndrome as far as like, oh, alcohol, you make us feel like such shit and you make us make the worst decisions, but we keep coming back to you. And then there's pot over here that's like helping people live happier, healthier lives. But we're like, ah, we better better not go over there. It's uh, we and, have the and, helicopter and the squad too, coming uh, that in. that I see is that the alcohol you know alcohol's a drug cocaine's a drug pot's a drug lots of things are drugs and drugs in and of themselves aren't bad it's how you relate to them how you deal with them uh and there's good in alcohol too uh in moderation it can lead to a lot of you know lowering of inhibitions and being social and having a good time but i think the lack of choices leads to the abuse of alcohol right people are we're already finding now that teenagers are more likely to smoke pot now than to binge drink and that's got to be a good thing considering the dangers that we get from binge drinking (laughs) we look at societies in europe where they have a drinking age that ranges like 16 for beer and wine and then 18 for hard alcohol and they have binge drinking rates that are far greater than america's you know 50 60 70 percent of their teens are binge drinking but they don't get into the drunk driving accidents. They don't have the fights. They don't have the, the sexual assaults like we do in America. So it's not just the alcohol necessarily. It's how we have a culture to it and what sort of choices we make. The theory is that in America, since we don't let kids drink till they're 21, then there is no modeling in younger years of responsible use. Right. It's like 16, 17, 18 year olds left to their own to, you know, do keg stands and beer bongs and such. Yeah. It all builds up. Right. And you get to that age where you are seeing other people do it and you're like, well, this looks fun. This is a party or whatever. And then it just builds up till you're 21 and then you just go crazy and get alcohol poisoning and then, you know, vow never <laughs> exactly, to drink again. Exactly. And the next time. it's, it's part of a age old problem with our society and, and, and just human nature of, of, well, I, I guess it's not age old. Maybe it's it's fairly relatively new with industrial society, but uh, of discounting the natural human urge to get fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> there is a natural human urge to change your perceptions, to to alter your mind. It goes back to ancient times, but you know, since industrial times, we've kind of turned our back on that, and we've seen the results. Yeah, it's like it's almost like that can't be a a good way to. To live and then still be efficient in this industrial world we're trying to create. So we'll just, you know, make all this stuff illegal and then everyone will just focus on work and making us money. And it's not – well, it's not all the drugs that are illegal though. The industrialization of our society has led to the favoring of, well, cigarettes because they're a stimulant, keep you going at work. Lord knows caffeine, you know, coffee machines in every corporate office in America for sure. Alcohol, I think, is accepted because it's kind of kind of self-limiting, right? Like you can't drink and get drunk all the time every day without it punishing you, right. <laughs> without it having. But if you're if you're that into it, you can for sure. But drugs that have the the cause of introspection, like cannabis or psilocybin mushrooms or LSD or ecstasy, anything that's going to cause any sort of introspection and empathy. 
mm, that's that's not so good. That might pe- make people think that what they're doing, working at their machine every day, isn't that important. And right. maybe they ought to spend more time with friends and family. And those drugs aren't good for the bottom line. That's that's interesting. You just sit in there at your sewing machine for your 22-hour work day and you just get all super introspective and decide that this sucks? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, well, Acid. You know, George, George Carlin uh, once had a routine where he talked about uh, the the owners of the country – don't they want a, a, a populace that is educated just enough to be able to work the machines, but dumb enough to accept doing it? That's pretty much where we're at. Some of us can even build the machines. I mean, who knows? It's almost like a, a little—I don't know. It's creepy. It is a little creepy. So, what else? Uh, what else you got going on? Are you going to Alaska for uh, the Canacon or Weed Week, or uh, where are you going next? I think so, but uh, this weekend I'll be at the uh, 25th anniversary Seattle Hemp Fest. Oh, that's uh, right. I'm really excited about that. i got uh, three speaking spots, and I'll be doing a lot of coverage and interviews for CannabisRadio.com. And then in September, I do believe I'm uh, participating in that uh, Weed Week. I uh, need to get some uh, contacts back, make sure that I'm, I'm going up there, but I'm, I think it's happening. That's awesome. And uh, later in September, third weekend, I think, is uh, Boston Freedom Rally. Oh, very cool. Well, I will see you at two out of those three that you uh, mentioned there. I'll definitely be at Hempfest this weekend and then at uh, Weed Week and Canacon uh, up in Alaska. So that'll be cool. Yeah. I love the Alaska events. You know, people get we get a lot of coverage in Washington and Oregon and Colorado. People forget about Alaska and they're they're doing some great stuff up up there in the Anchorage area. I'm excited because it's another state off my bucket list. I've never been to Alaska, so I hear it's like the other Montana, just way bigger. (laughs) It's it is. There's a lot of Montana like to it. Uh, The city of Anchorage reminds me of Boise a little bit in its kind of small town feel. Uh, And then, of course, it's a port city as well. So you get that kind of maritime feel to it oh very cool. you'll really enjoy it <laughs> excellent so uh cannabis radio russ belleville yes sir very cool man thank you for coming on it's been awesome i'm glad i've been able to catch up with you and uh, i look forward to catching your your talks and all that up at Hempfest this weekend yeah we will see you there cool man well have a great evening all right take it easy russ belleville fantastic I like that guy a bunch. He was pretty awesome to us back in the day when he did the 420 radio thing. And, uh, yeah, now just doing his thing on the CannabisRadio.com. CannabisRadio.com. Check it out. Uh, that's about it for the show. HotboxPodcast.com. Check that out. Uh, and I'll be covering all this stuff for the Cannabis Journal. Uh, CannabisJournal.com. So check that out. Uh, and we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, of course. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. If you like you weed, like this weed, is where is where you need to, need to be. be. <laughs> if you like weed, this is where you need to be. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hot Box Podcast.